Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 5. And let's just read the text first. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Father, we thank you for your word. And as we study it together, thank you for anointing our ears to hear it accurately, our hearts to receive it, our minds to be open to it, and for the teaching ministry of the Holy Ghost who will enlarge our capacity to receive revelation, knowledge, wisdom, understanding, and ability of all the things that pertain to life and godliness. And Father, I thank you for giving me utterance in the Holy Ghost that I may boldly proclaim with accuracy the knowledge of the truth that will make us free, that we may rise up as doers of the word and not hearers only, having our faith not in the wisdom of men but in the power of the living God. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, have you ever been at a place in your Christian experience where you felt like you were a failure or that you weren't pleasing to God with your life, in your lifestyle? I ask that because I recall in my early experience of being a Christian, going to church, attending to church, you know, church services regularly, and kind of just sitting back and observing and I did a lot of that initially because the background that I had was uh, more reserved and I wasn't used to people being expressive in a worship service and therefore when I saw all these people doing all these different things in a worship service I just didn't put it down but I couldn't participate because to me it was something that was different something that was new and so I just kind of sat back and watched for a while and and all that until I began to discover in the Bible that it was proper to express ourselves before God, to worship Him with uplifted hands and play musical instruments in the church and, you know, and to glorify God with a shout and praise and high praises. You know, I read there where it said in the book of Psalms that everything that hath breath, praise the Lord, praise ye the Lord. And I figured, well, I've got breath and obviously I'm to praise the Lord. I remember where Jesus said that if you don't worship and bless the name of the Lord, then the rocks, the stones will cry out. And I didn't want them taking my place. I'd rather do it myself than have the rocks and stones cry out. What about you? But it takes time to mature spiritually. You know that. You know. But in some places, like I said, you, know, you go to a place and, and you see all this happening. You kind of wonder. And you don't realize sometimes just how much of an effect those things have upon your Christian experience. And I recall going to this, this particular church, and in no way am I belittling anything that happened there or the people or the minister or anything like that. I'm just sharing with you my experience, if I may. And sitting back and observing, and I would begin to watch people after the preacher preached and you know, gave his message, almost every service gather around the altar, and in particular in the night services, and just gather around the altar and really not for the purpose of worshiping the Father and exalting Him together, but after a little bit maybe of that, then having everyone being ministered to, having everyone be ministered to constantly on a continuous basis. And it made me stop and think. You know, I kind of wondered, well, what's the purpose of all this? 
Why is it that someone has to constantly be ministered to service after service after service after service? And then when I began to see that it was the same ones going up and constantly being ministered to, it made me think all the more. You know, and I was just young in the Lord, very young in the Lord, and I didn't, you know, know a whole lot. I mean, I thank God that I started studying His Word and I was learning some truths from the Bible. And at that time, I had a little bit more freedom to worship. I wasn't just sitting back there like a stick in the mud somewhere, you know, and that's all there is to it, not doing anything. I was participating in the worship service and trying to learn all that I possibly could. I was excited for the things of God, and I was just like a sponge. I wanted to soak up everything in my path that was good. I really did. I want to learn more and more and more and more about the things of God. And I always tell this to people, if, if you don't have any interest whatsoever in learning more about the things of God, something is wrong spiritually. Really, I mean that. Something is wrong spiritually. I know that some of us don't like to hear things like that. But if we're honest with ourselves and if we're really honest with God, then you'll know for certain that something is wrong because God's big. I'm telling you, beloved, God is big. There's a whole lot more to know about God. We don't just graduate to a place where now we can just gather around with people and just shout and, and, and holler and all that and say, that's my Christianity and go home and just, you know, forget about it and all that. We should always want to be learning about the things of God because there's so much to learn about. There's so much to know about Jesus and what he has done for us in redemption. There's so much to know about what he wants us to do with our own personal lives to determine and discover what His will is for our lives so that we can walk in the light of His will for our lives, to know what it really means to deny myself and take up my cross and follow Jesus. And thank God for others that are out there that can help us along the way. But, you know, ultimately, you know and I know, we all know that it's an individual thing. It's a personal relationship that we have with Jesus Christ, with God the Father through Jesus. And God has a perfect will for our lives. And the one who's responsible to determine what that is is well, me, myself, and I, I guess. Right? You know, we, we've got to come to a place where we realize the need to individually pursue the things of God to determine and discover what it is that He would have us to do in life. See, that's part of it. And so it's learning about Him, His person, His plan, and His purpose, and His will for our lives, and also all the wonderful things that He has done for us. And actually, it's also um, something that involves our learning more to be more intimate with our Father God in our fellowship, in our relationship, uh, learning to grow in our understanding of His beauty and majesty, His person, His holiness. God is so holy. I mean, if we just begin to explore the holiness of God, I believe, you know, we'd be baffled. I mean, you see Isaiah, he saw the Lord high and lifted up, full of glory and power. I mean, he was so holy. He says, I'm undone. I'm unclean. You know, I'm a man of unclean lips. What am I going to do? My, you know, my, my God is so holy and, and, and so glorious. I mean, here I am. Well, if we just begin to, to look at that and, and, and study that and find out all about that, you know, it, it'll have an effect upon our lives. It'll change us in character and change us in the way we conduct ourselves here upon this earth. What I'm saying is there's a whole lot to learn about God and if we're satisfied with what we have and what we know, and we've lost that desire to learn, something is wrong with us spiritually. Because there's a whole lot more to know. And He wants us to grow. He wants us to develop. He wants us to become more intimate in our fellowship with Him. I mean, I think about this fella, Enoch, and, you know, think about it. This fella walked with God. And then he was translated. But before he was translated, he had this testimony. 
that he pleased God. Now, I like that because that's a marvelous testimony. And if you think that through, you find out that God Almighty, the Father himself, said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And when God says he's pleased with someone, he's pleased with someone. And that's someone you can look at and say, my goodness, there's someone I can pattern my life after because if that person's life pleased God, you know, he's got a lot to offer or she has a lot to offer. And obviously Enoch did. God said he pleased me. And then he was translated. So the man was pleasing to God. And that's how we should want to live our lives, to be pleasing to God. Amen? Every single one of us, to learn more about him so that with our lives, with our very being, with our existence, we can please our Father God. It's not based on somebody else. It's not based on what someone else does. It's based on who I am and how I consider my relationship with Him to be. I want Him to be pleased with my life. I mean, there was Jesus in the midst of all these people. And they had different backgrounds and they had different attitudes and different character traits and faults and failures and, and human frailties and all these different things. But there was Jesus in the midst of them all. And the Father says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And so he can be pleased with Jesus in the midst of all that. People had different attitudes and ideas and pursuits and aims and aspirations in life. But he was pleased with Jesus. And we can follow Jesus in such a way that, you know, the Father can also be pleased with us. Because we don't have to be influenced by other people whose attitudes may be different, whose desires may be different, whose pursuits may be different, and aspirations may be different. We can pursue the, the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus and the Father would be pleased with our lives. And that's exactly what we all should be striving for in life on an individual basis. And then together as a corporate collective body of believers, join ourselves and join forces together so that he's also pleased with this activity that's taking place here in the assembly. And so that's how you know, God views it. That's how he wants things to be. And we also should have that same you know, heartfelt desire. Well, I just began to notice that, hmm, these people are constantly going forward, and I wondered why. And if you stay at a place long enough, it'll just begin, begin to somewhat rub off on you if you're not careful. And you do get affected by what you expose yourself to. You know, if you expose yourself to certain things, you may say, oh, that's not going to bother me. But if you stay there long enough, eventually it's going to come on you. Eventually it's going to get on you. Evil communications corrupt good manners. You know, evil communications corrupt good manners. And if you hang around with those that are evil, it's going to get on you. And you're going to get influenced by that and it's going to, you know, come on your life and affect you negatively. Well, the same thing is true in Christian circles. Now, not that there was anything wrong with these people because they were all, you know, Christians and they loved God. But I noticed that they were taught a certain way. A certain way that was different than what I saw from the Word of God. But hindsight's always better than foresight. So let me start back there where I was in the darkness and I didn't know a lot. But there are certain things I wanted to discover for myself because I wasn't satisfied in my heart with what I was seeing and experiencing. What happened was they would go to the altar all the time and, and always be prayed for. And a lot of their faults would be exposed and, and, and all this was all taking place. And I guess this was supposedly called a Pentecostal church and... You know, this is a, a great move of God or, or whatever. But I thought, is there no end to this? You know, I'm just young in the Lord. These people have been doing, they've been at this for years. You know, I'm just young in the Lord. And I thought, is this what I'm to look forward to? 
Well, I was by myself. I worked in the mill, and I share that with you oftentimes. I'd just go there. I'd read the Bible. I'd be worshiping and praising God and singing, shouting, hallelujah, glory be to Jesus. And I'd just on fire for the Lord. I'd go to church. I'd sit down. You know, and by the time I got to the end of it and finally the altar call was, was about to be given, I knew it was going to take place. I got so down in the dumps, I kind of wondered, well, I should have stayed in the crane. You know? <laughs> I don't understand what's going on here. I mean, if all I have to look forward to is this, you know, 25 years from now, I'll just be at that altar and stand there just like, you know, like this here. And, yeah, I did it again. Um, yeah, I just, just, did, yeah, just go ahead. I did it. You know, is that all there is to it? I thought, my goodness, we should be growing in God. My goodness, we should not lose the joy of our salvation. We should be making spiritual progress and going forward. You know, is that what the New Testament Pentecostal church is all about? That everybody just, you know, points out everybody else's faults and failures and shortcomings, and then we have a prayer meeting at the end of every service, and we just keep on praying that somebody gets better. But you don't want them to get better, because if they got better, when they had the next altar call, who would you pray for? Who would you pray for? Think about that. It's like the one that says, oh, I pray that nobody gets healed before they come to church, so we can pray for them in church and get them healed. Well, that doesn't make much sense, does it? I was of the opinion that if you were going to pray for somebody, you wanted results. And if you got results, thank God. I mean, it's not wrong to say, you know, brother, I'm okay today. I love Jesus and Jesus loves me and I got it together. I believe in that. I'm walking victorious in Jesus. I believe in that. But you see, I saw this time and time again. Same people, same problems, same situations, same types of prayers. And then a week later, come back on the same Sunday, next Sunday night service and do, go through the whole thing again and again and again. And by the time I was you know, getting done, I couldn't figure it out. Why am I getting so depressed? Why every time I go to church do I feel like as though that, that I just can't please God with my life? Why do I have this sense of guilt and condemnation? Why is it that I can't seem to rise up to a place of victorious living? But the moment I get away, and the moment I get along with God, and the moment I start quoting the Word of God to myself, and having that kind of a mindset, I say, thanks be to God who gives me the victory through Christ Jesus my Lord. I'm aware of my faults, I'm aware of my shortcomings and failures and all that, but I'm also aware of the fact that greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen. That's what I was aware of. See, I was just being taught this Word of faith. I was being taught that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I was being taught that no weapon formed against you will prosper. I was, you know, being taught wonderful things like, I've been made more than a conqueror through Christ who loves me, who gave his life to, for me to secure my victory. And I was thanking him for that. I was blessing him for that. And then, you know, I'd go there and I'd find out, well, everybody's got all these situations that are seemingly insurmountable. And it's just week after week after week after week after week after week, we pray for the same things. Is no, there no place of victory, I thought? Is no, there no place of overcoming these things, I thought? There has to be. And so then I began to then realize that these people were a byproduct of their environment. See, too often we don't want to admit this. There's a lot of spiritual theatrics. And you see, we feel we didn't really have church tonight because someone didn't do this or someone didn't do that or there wasn't somebody weeping at the altar or whatever. And I thought, does that really mean that we haven't had church? I don't believe that. I believe that we can get a hold of the Word of God in such a way that even if someone is sitting out there in the pew right where you sit, 
that word can pierce your heart and do a work in you without someone praying for you or someone touching you. That word will get you, your feet in the right direction, set you in motion, get you motivated to do the right thing, and, and, and you'll start right then and right there. There doesn't have to be any spiritual theatrics in it. I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for people. I'm saying I saw an abuse of the altar. You following me? There was an abuse, or let's say a misuse of it. See, I don't have to go off and say, well, hey, I prayed for 47 people at the altar last night. You know, I'd say, well, you'll pray for them again next Sunday night, too. And the Sunday night after that, and after that, and after that. You know, I like to say, well, hey, I prayed for 47 people Sunday night, and you know what? 37 of them were delivered and set free, and I'm praying for the next 10 next Sunday night. And then when they're delivered and set free, I, I pray to God that, you know, they, they, they're walking in the light of the knowledge of God. They can walk with God in such a way like Enoch did, that their lives are pleasing to God. God is satisfied with them, and they're being helped. And you know what? Before they ever come back next Sunday night to church, if they do have a problem, they can just maybe get on a phone, call somebody, and we talk about the Word of God together. And the Word is so real to them in their lives, they got it over the phone. Can you understand what I'm saying? But you see, too often what has happened is that it was promoted from the pulpit that you need this. Well, obviously, if I want you to need me, I put you in a position where you need to come here. Because it has to be my prayer that helps you. That's not my responsibility. To be frank about it, my responsibility is to help you grow to a place that you can live for God. And turn to Him in every time of your need. And learn how to spiritually, intellectually, reach out of your spirit and touch God for yourself. Because I might be on vacation next week. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? No, it's, it's not to get you to depend on me. It's me to get you to depend on the one that saved you by his blood. And if I have accomplished that, then I'm being faithful to do the work and the will of God for my life. But if I say I'm successful in getting all these people around the altar week after week, and that's having church, I believe I have failed. Because, you see, I want you to know how big your God is. I want you to know how great He is. I want you to know how you can just turn to Him in your time of need. And when you're in trouble, you can say, God is my refuge. God is my strength. God is my very present help in the time of my trouble. And you know what? If the earth be removed, what's he mean by that? If someone comes along and pulls the rug out from beneath you and it seems like you're falling off the earth, beneath you are his everlasting arms. And you're so confident in that. You know that so well that you're not shaken. You're not shaken. See, that's what I saw. And I would say to myself, wait a minute, wait a minute. Aren't we supposed to get people to the place where they can reach out and touch God for themselves? Isn't that what we're supposed to be promoting in our churches today? Not to get people to be dependent upon those that, that minister, but to get them to be dependent upon the one that saved them. Almighty God himself, who is more than enough. And, and I was warring with this thing. When I thought, oh, you're just young, you're just saved, you know. And matter of fact, I wasn't just thinking that, I was told that. 
You know, and behind my back, people would say, well, he's just young in the Lord. He's just on fire, full of faith right now. Give him a few, you know, more years, he'll die down. And I thought, come on, this doesn't happen in Christian circles. You can't tell me that people would actually say something like that. Give him a few more years or whatever, and he'll slow down and, and all that. I want to say, you know what? They're on fire for God. Don't let the fire ever be quenched. Let it burn on the inside. And burn on the inside till it burns up all the chaff. And it's nothing but pureness and purity before God. And that which is inside them will be brought forth out of them. And they'll go forth and do even greater things for the Lord. Because they have built upon someone else's success and they've gone further. Like Elisha and Elijah. I want to say it just like that. And, and what an analogy. What, what a comparison there. The, the life of Elijah and Elisha. Beautiful. Here's Elijah, a man of God, tremendously used of the Lord. But he realized the time of his departure is at hand. And he also knows that there is a responsibility to continue the work of the Lord upon the earth. And, of course, there has to be somebody. Remember, we're talking about Old Testament times now, not New Testament. And those kinds of anointings and ministries are different in the Old than they are in the New. And so... The mantle has to fall upon somebody because the work of the Lord, the, the, the work of the prophet must continue. This man named Elisha is one who desires to have this anointing of God. He longed for it. He yearned for it. He hungered. He wanted to know more about this God. He wanted to know more about this anointing and this, this ability, this, this power that was available to those that, that would call upon his name. And so Elijah, the prophet, says, look, Elisha, you stay here. I'm going on with the Lord. And Elisha says, as sure as your soul lives and God lives and I live, I'm not leaving your side. You better get used to it because I'm going to be your shadow. And everywhere you go, you'll find me. Why? Because I want to learn more. What a difference. Oh, I've seen those that have actually gone to school where I attended Rama Bible Training Center and Brother Hagen in 50 years of ministry. And I've heard these kinds of statements come out of their mouths. Well, I know all that. And I thought, oh, wow. I'm so happy for you. You know all that. Well, there's no sense in you reading the Bible anymore because you know all that. You know? But here's Elisha following Elijah. And Elijah says, I've got to go over here because the Lord has something for me to do. He says, I'm going to be right by your side. I'm not leaving. I'm not staying here. I'm not going to miss anything that God is doing through your life. Because the anointing is upon you and I want it. So I will associate with you. I'll be by your side. I will learn from you. I will watch. And so he goes. And then finally he says, look, the Lord sent me over here. I'm going to stay, I'm going to go there for a while and minister. You stay here. Sounds like he was trying to get rid of him. But in actuality, I wanted to see, he was trying to find out what he was made of. What stuff he had on the inside. Elisha says, as sure as God lives and I live and your soul lives, there's no way I'm departing from your side. I don't know at all. There's more I want to learn from you. And I'm not going to give up until I've learned more about this God that you serve. I want to know all there is to know about operating and the anointing of God, the power of God. I want to learn how to be used of God in a glorious way. And so he goes. Elisha follows. He says, I'm not moving. Stay by your side. I'm not moving. And they go there. 
have another tremendous experience in God, and they move on to another place, and the same scenario. I'm not stopping. I'm not staying. I am moving with you until I get what I desire. And he says, well, what do you desire? He says, I desire not just what you have. I want double. I guess it's okay to be greedy if you want more of God, right? Is it okay to be greedy if you want more of God, if that's what your objective is and, and goal is? You want more of God, so get greedy. I'm not satisfied with what I have. And you know what? This is the attitude that we should have about each other. If that person is experiencing something about God that I may not be aware of or know of, and it's working for him or her, and you know that as a result of it, they're having a glorious time in God, don't get jealous with the wrong type of jealousy. Just know that he's your father too. Ask him and don't be full of pride. Ask them, what do you know that I don't know? <laughs> Tell me I want to know. Because I want to know how to live with God like that. I want to know how to walk with God like that. I want to know more about this God that I serve. Let us not think that we have it all up here. Because God's not up here, praise God. Others have some experience down here that they know and they can share with others. But others are closed-minded and they don't want to know it. But be like an Elijah that says, I will absorb from you. Everything I can. And when I finally get to that place that God can use me, I still won't be satisfied with operating in the amount that you had. I want double. And Elijah says, look, you don't know what you're asking for, son. Because you think it's just the anointing that you want. It doubled in your life, but you want the double, double the responsibility. See, we can shout our praise, man, when we think about the first part of that verse talks about he was translated. We get shot, man. Enoch was translated. Spectacular things are happening. And that's what we want. The spectacular. But do we want to sacrifice? Elisha walked with Elijah for 20 years. Absorbing. Observing. Watching. Waiting. Being molded. Formed. Do you see that? And then finally, he says, I've got one more stop. You've got to cross the River Jordan. I've got one more stop, which is a type of dying out to the flesh. I don't, I'm not preaching that message. I'd like to get into it sometime. But it's a dying out to the flesh. And says, Elisha, if that's what you really want is the double portion of the anointing of God, which is the double responsibility. Because to, to whom much is given, much is required. He said, then, uh, if you see me. Caught up, and you see my departure in the whirlwind, then know that your desires granted you. But that last place was called dying out to self. No more me, but Christ liveth in me. He followed him for 20 years. He got to the place of the Jordan. Elijah got the mantle. Walked across the dry shop, got to the other side. Elisha went with him. Elisha saw him caught up in the whirlwind, taken off the glory. He knew his desire was granted. Got the mantle, put it upon himself, which meant he was willing to die out to self, to live for God. To do everything in his life to see to it that he was pleasing to God. To get to a place that he was sure about his own commitment and how deep it was.
totally committed and sold out to God. And when that big test came, will you decrease that I may increase? He crossed that Jordan saying, I'm willing to die out to flesh, which is self-ambition, doing my own thing and with my life, my own will. He says, I'm willing. Got to the other side. His, his, uh, as I said, his request was granted. His desire was given. Took the mantle. Went back to the waters of Jordan. Smote the waters. And said, where is the God of Elijah? And the waters were parted. In other words, I went all the way to demonstrate and prove to you that I will serve you with my life and I will live for you. But I can't do it in my own strength. I want your ability. He got it as he was willing to die out to self. Turned back, went right back into, let's say, the world. A type of going right back into the world and facing it with a newfound anointing. In the power and the ability of God. Maybe we can't control it ourselves, but in the power of God, we can do it. And so you see, it takes sacrifice. It takes diligence. It takes desire. It takes persevering application. But you know what, beloved? The rewards are well worth it. I mean that. The rewards are well worth it. I would rather school people. I would rather teach people. I believe, beloved, that you get people, you can get people to come and say, you don't stop that line. You're going to go to hell. You're going to burn there forever. And, you know, we preach this message. We hear this all the time. You know, pointing the finger, condescending, and, and all these different things. And, you know, this, you're so terrible about this. I really don't believe, beloved, that the fear method is what God is looking for. I mean that. Because, you know what, you may scare somebody for about a week or two. But they're going to find out that since nothing was put in them, they can't help doing what they're doing. I mean that. And so they fall right back into it. And then finally, you know what they do? They just give up and say, what's the use? One of two things will happen if you get people taught that way. You know, they're going to get disgusted because they feel I can't please God with my life. They'll be living under a sense of guilt and condemnation. And some of them will say, well, what's the use? And they'll go back into the world out of which they came. And just forget it. They'll put their Christianity on hold and they'll fall right back into the same things and say, I just can't overcome it. So there's no sense. I know the preacher told me I'm going to hell if I keep on doing it. But you know what? I just can't overcome this. And so I just kind of throw in the towel and I just give up. And that used to just pierce me, prick my heart when I would see people that you knew that it's not a matter of that. It's not a matter of telling somebody that they're going to go to hell. And people want you to get technical. Tell them that they're going to go to hell if they do that. Beloved, I read my Bible, it says it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. I mean that. Which, when you start telling somebody, do you know how much Jesus loves you? Do you know how much He gave for you? Do you realize the sacrifice that He made? Get them in love with Jesus. And when you get them in love with Jesus, they won't want to do it anymore. And when they don't want to do it anymore, then the battle's practically won. Because then you can, say, you can get them to a point and a place where you can say, look... You can't do it in your own strength. But let me take you all the way to Jesus. Let me get you filled with the Holy Ghost and power. And then, instead of them trying to stop doing it, it's, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loves me and gave Himself for me. 
And then you know He loves you so much and you love Him so much. You sound like Joseph. How can I do that and sin against my God? Did you get that? How can I do that and sin against my God? You get somebody to that kind of mentality, beloved, you got them on the right track. You got them on the right path. Because they're so in love with God, they don't want to hurt Him. And that's why they're not doing it just because they're afraid to go to hell. They don't do it because they love God so much they don't want to hurt Him. And that motivation, beloved, is just tremendously different than the other. See, one is just producing godly, not a godly sorrow, but a worldly sorrow. I'm sorry that I did it, Lord. Why? Because of the consequences I regret. I know what will happen to me if I continue in this. And so they regret doing what they did because we got caught. And I know about the consequences. But that's not godly sorrow. That's not repentance. See, it's one thing to regret that we've done wrong. And in a lot of cases, we get schooled in this. We've done wrong. We know. We'll pray. We'll go to the altar. He'll pray for us. We'll go back. And I know we'll do the same thing over again. But we do this every week. You know. We go through this every week. So it's just a matter of this is, this is my Christian experience. No, it's not. It doesn't have to be our Christian experience. But you see, they've been taught that way. And it's just a habitual thing. It's a ritual. We can have habitual things to take place in Pentecostal circles too, beloved. We know that. And we've got to be careful that we don't allow that to, to happen. It should be this way. There is a godly sorrow that works for penance. What does that mean? It means this. It's not that I regret what I have done because of the consequence I might have to suffer. It's the fact that it's godly sorrow. I'm sorry because I hurt God. And I don't want to hurt God. Jesus died for me. Jesus went to to hell to pay the price for me. I don't want to hurt Him. I'm not just looking out for myself, I'm saying. I realize how it hurts the very heart of God and grieves Him. When we violate His will. And so, beloved, what I'm saying is this. The way to get people out of sin is to get more of God in them. The way to stop sin is to show them how good God is. Because godly sorrow works repentance. And repentance means this. I'm going in another direction with my life. I'm going in another direction with my life. And I want to. I want to so bad because I'm going to stop lying because lying hurts God. I'm going to stop cheating because cheating hurts God. I'm going to stop committing fornication because it hurts God. That's what Joseph said. I, how can I do this in sin against my God? Do you see the point? This is the place that we want to get to. And it's preaching The cure for sin that delivers people from sin and not condemning people. Do you see that? It's not condemning people, which just drives them further away from God. And that's why I'm so careful when I minister. It's not my intention to have people develop that same type of mentality. I felt sorry for those people because they were in a religious rut. 
never getting to a place of experiencing victory in Christ, never getting to a place where they actually believe that I'm pleasing God with my life. Beloved, did you know you can be there? And it doesn't take a whole lot to get there. Because you see, God views us as individuals in, in different phases of spiritual growth and development. And when you first get saved, you're pleasing to God right then. You made a decision to make Jesus your Savior and Lord. That pleased the Father with, you know, beyond measure. He was so joyful and excited about that that He bragged about you before the angels of heaven. Because of your decision to make Jesus your Savior and Lord, He bragged on you. And you start from there and you realize that He loves me. He cares about me. And because He does, I don't want to serve sin. I don't have two masters. I have one. Jesus is my Lord. And He died for me. He shed His blood for me. He gave His life for me. I live for Him. For to me to live is Christ. And you put into somebody that he, he loves you so much and He is so good. It's like that one that you love. Uh, your mate maybe. Your child. They, they love you so much and you don't want to hurt them. You don't want to hurt them. And so you live in such a way that you don't hurt them. Because you don't want to. Because you love them so much. Well, if you love God so much the same way, can't you see? We don't want to hurt Him. Can God really be hurt? I thought you'd never ask that question. I really did. Look at the book of Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. Verse 1. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is also flesh. Yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days and also after that, when the sons of God came in under the daughters of men and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of men was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made men on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. This is what we want to emphasize. But you say, beloved, if we don't tell them all these different things, we're not going to scare them into living right. Forget it. You'll never scare anyone in the living right. You try that with your kids. It doesn't work. But if you really present God as we should, and people really learn to love Him as they should, a work will take place in their inward parts. You'll build a life of God in them. You'll build an understanding of God in them. You'll build a love for God in them in such a way that they love Him so much that they don't want to grieve His heart. And that's what sin does. It grieves the very heart of God. And so then as a person who is excited about his salvation, excited about his destiny, growing in the things of God, I want to know that if there's something that I can do that would hurt my father and gave his heart, I want to stay away from it. Because he means too much to me. And my relationship to him and with him is too meaningful for me to, to ruin it. Do you see that? By living a lifestyle of sin. 
That's what we tell people. It's the goodness of God that led us to repentance. He's so good. And we love Him so much that we want to stay away from it. Now, I believe in sharing with people the fact that we can do more than just cling to our faith and live the rest of our lives in such a way that we're bound by this, this endless condemnation. Having the need to constantly go before the altar and purge ourselves. I believe that we can live a victorious overcoming life in Christ on a day-by-day basis. So that when we do assemble together as the saints of God, we can gather together with the power and the glory of God manifested in such a wonderful way because all our attention is directed towards Him. Because we know our lives please Him. And we know that He is pleased with with our lives and that He is satisfied that we are growing. See, we all have a certain stage of spiritual growth and development. And He knows that. It doesn't mean that we're going to be sinless. In that sense, never missing the mark, it doesn't mean that. But what it does mean is this. If I do miss the mark, I don't have to wait till next Sunday or Wednesday to repent. I say, Father God, because I know your word, I know that was sin. I'm not pleased with my attitude. I'm not pleased with my anger. I responded to anger in an improper way. And I didn't control it. I'm sorry. I ask your forgiveness. I know it hurts your heart when I do what is wrong. Forgive me. I don't want to hurt you. And then you go on right there. See, it's a daily thing. It's bringing out the good stuff that God has put within us as we develop it. Godly sorrow will always work repentance. I don't want to do it. My heart's not in doing that. My heart's not in displeasing you, Father God. What did Jesus say? Jesus said that the one that loves him is the one that keeps his commandment. Did you get that? Whoso keeps His commandment, He it is that loves me. And the Father and I will love them and make our abode within them. But I want you to get this. Do you know why He keeps His commandment? Because He loves them. That's why He keeps His commandment. And you see, if if there are certain areas of our lives, this is the point I want to drive home. If there are certain areas of our lives where we're bound up and we've, we've been overcoming or defeated in, you know, we're not to get put down and get to a place that we're never going to rise up above that and feel that we've got to stay in that thing and just constantly live with it as we cling to our faith and trying to make heaven our home. No, we get to a place that even though we've been experiencing difficulties in certain areas of our lives, rather than saying, look, you stop that, you'll be a better Christian. And you go, if you only knew how long I've been trying to stop this thing, my goodness, I've been trying and trying and trying, but I've been unsuccessful, you know, and all I hear is this, this, this hellfire and brimstone, and I'm so concerned about, they're so concerned about going to hell that they can't work on the problem. You say, look, and I want you to get this. Have you ever considered the fact that stopping that's not going to make you a better Christian? But... If you'll just realize that it, it means that there's still a part of your heart that you can give to Jesus. And then, if you're willing to give Him that part of your heart, He'll take over the Lordship in that area of your life. And you know what? He'll enable you to stop it. I'm going to say that again. Making Jesus the Lord of our lives means this. Inside my heart there's a cross. 
and there's a throne. And if I live my life the way I want to and do what I want to with my life, then that means I'm on the throne and Jesus is on the cross. He's dead in me. He's not alive. If I persist in this particular thing and I'm not going to do anything about it, it means that I'm on the throne in that area of my life. And all I need to do is recognize that and realize that Jesus wants to be Lord over all of my life and all of my heart. And what I need to do is to open up my heart further to His Lordship and get off the throne and say, Jesus, you come and sit on the throne. You sit on the throne of my heart. See, that's pleasing to God. I give my heart to you in, in all areas. And I see that this is a problem area in my life, but I give my heart to you. I throw open the door of my heart to you, Jesus. You said you would strengthen me. And so I throw open wide the door of my heart. I get off of the throne. Then who's on the cross? You die to self. I don't allow myself to live. I allow Christ to live. He takes over the rulership of my heart in that area. He enables me with His divine power and strength to overcome that situation. And beloved, I'm convinced of this. See, too many want to get their deliverance from the outside in and it doesn't work that way. We've got to let each other know, let people know that we minister to. Are you willing to give that part of your heart to Jesus? See, when we become Christians, it doesn't mean that everything changes automatically. We can be emotionally attached to certain things in our lives. You know, when we try to pull out sin and condemn people with sin, you know, those, those extremists that, that, that like this hellfire and brimstone stuff, they want to condemn everybody to hell for doing everything from wearing makeup, you know, to uh, wearing pants to church. Okay? And they're all going to hell for all these different things. With the exception of overeating, of course. That's, I figured that would strike a chord somewhere. With that exception, because that's not a sin. And of course, with the exception of misuse of the tongue, that's not, no problem there. Whew. Come on, brother. Now, wait a minute. Yeah, what about this? We're attached to certain things, such as food. But I want to rise up to overcome. I'm telling you what we're going to overcome. It's when you make the Lord Jesus the Lord of your life in that area that you'll be able to control your appetite. You got your still-toed shoes on? See, I didn't condemn anybody to hell, but we made a statement. I don't understand. I just, I just have a problem with lying. Well, you make the Lord Jesus Lord over your heart in that area. You won't lie anymore. See, it's not stop lying. You give, that, you give Jesus that part of your heart. You stop living to please yourself in that area of your life. Jesus, Lord to me. Master, Savior. You're more than my Savior. You're my Lord and Master. And you see, we're attached emotionally to a lot of these different things that we don't want to give up. Jesus wants to be Lord over every area of our lives. Oh, what about this one? Friends. Friends. You mean he wants to help me choose my friends? Yes, that's exactly what I mean. Because evil communications corrupt good manners. 
all areas of our lives. But you don't understand. I mean, this job that I have, I'm so secure in it. See, it gives me a sense of security. This is the job that I've longed for, and it's finally mine. And now that I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian right now, and you know, I don't understand it. I think God wants me to go into ministry. Well, that's maybe true. And if He does want you to go into the ministry, even though you have security in your job, Jesus wants to be Lord over your life. And we're going to have to detach ourselves from these emotional ties that we have and say, am I willing to give it to Jesus? I had to make that decision. No, you think I was born in a suit waiting to stand behind a pulpit somewhere. Right? It's the last thing I would have ever done with my life as far as I was concerned. I had security in my job and I appreciated the fact that I could feed my family and everything. And in the times in which we live, you know, we can all appreciate that. But um, when he said, look, I want you to go to school, you know what that meant? I had a decision to make. Some don't make the right choice. It doesn't mean it's going to be a bed of roses and peaches and cream. But what it means is I had to give up my security and make Jesus my security. That's what it meant that you give up. Jesus, you're Lord over my job, my lifestyle, my friends, my marriage, my profession. You're Lord over my finances and everything that I do in life. And if we just start telling people, you know what it really means to be pleasing to God and to live a life that's pleasing to God? It means making Jesus Lord over every, every area of your life. We'd be so busy. We'd never see anybody else's faults. We'd be so busy with our own lives. We wouldn't see anybody else's shortcomings. Amen. You know that beam and that splitter Jesus talked about in the eye? Made out of the same material. Yeah. Jesus wants to be Lord. And in these certain areas where people are always coming to an altar to get delivered from on a, you know, if if you've done it three times this week, I think you better just take a step back and wait a while. Because... A prayer is not going to make someone sacrifice himself and give his will over to the will of God. And so what people need to be told is, is this. Look, we can help you to a certain extent. But the bottom line is this. You lack the giving of your heart to Jesus Christ and His Lordship in that area of your life. You've got a decision to make. You have to make it. You've got to get serious with God. And say, Jesus... I want you to be Lord of all. Lord of all. And you know what? He'll be right there. He knows the sacrifice. He's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He knows what it means. You say, was it an easy thing to leave your job with your wife pregnant and do all that stuff? Oh, hindsight is so much easier. Can I be honest with you? It was frightening. Frightening. To sell all your possessions, to go back down to zero, start life over again with your wife pregnant, leaving your, the security of the hospitalization and all that, that they would cover the expenses and all that. Go to a no man's land, only knowing that I did it because I wanted to please my Heavenly Father. That's what it means. doesn't mean it's going to be easy. But what it does mean is that every time we t- step out and do that, And give Him that part of our heart. He moves in and takes over Lordship in that area of our lives. 
You know what backsliding is? Do you know what backsliding is? It's the person who at one time gave Jesus that part of the lordship of his heart, who got off the throne, who says, I'm not going to please myself, who says that I'm not going to pursue my own aspirations and all that, says, well, I did it for a while. Now I'm going to go back to doing once again what I used to do. I'm going to get back on the throne of my heart. Oh, yeah, there was a time I was really into that love walk. Mm -hmm. I used to watch my tongue. And the reason why you were so good at it at that time was because Jesus was in control. And it was meaningful to you because you didn't want to hurt him by walking out of love. But now that you see there's not a whole lot of people committed to walking in divine love and, and, and believing the best about every person, well, that gives us a license then just to get off you know, the cross and get back on the throne of our own heart and say, well, what's the difference if I talk about somebody? Everybody does it. Are we meddling tonight? That's what backsliding is. It means that you go back to getting on the throne of your own heart and life and you live the way you want to do. Well, you know, I didn't smoke for 10 years, but all of a sudden I picked it back up. And, or I didn't drink for whatever, and all of a sudden I'm starting doing it again, and that's, it's not all that bad, and blah, blah, blah. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. And I never used to talk about anybody, but now... Well, wait a minute. You're saying that uh, I used to go to church regularly, and, and, and now I just... Mm, Wait a minute. In other words, there was a time when Jesus really had the lordship. But now all of a sudden, I'm doing what I want to do. Once again, with my life. We call that backsliding. Going back to taking over the control and the reins of our own lives. But you see, beloved, Jesus wants to hold that place in our lives. He wants to be the one. And that's what I want to talk about. <clears throat> I really do. I want to share with us starting Sunday morning some key principles that will help us. And this is going to be the first one. We need to tell people after they're saved that he wants to be more than Savior. He wants to be Lord. And that means he wants to rule our hearts and lives. And you've got to get so much in love with him because when you're so much in love with God, that will curb sin. That will remove sin from the life of the person. Because even if someone else wants to hurt you, Lord, I don't. You see that? Not a whole lot better than saying, You're going to burn in hell. Because, believe me, if they don't love God and they're not going to walk with Him, you can hit them with that over the head until they're blue in the face. It's not going to be any good. It's the goodness of God that leads one to repentance. You tell them how good God is and uh, what, what concern and care He has for the human life and what sacrifice He made to secure our lives and destiny. People will fall in love with Him. And those that love Him keep His commandments. I guess you could say this. Those that really don't, don't. Stand before the Lord. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. 
Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.